0: We um, are taking this month to uh, just kind of center around vision, the vision that God's given us, the vision God's given you for your life, and um, it's so important that we keep vision in front of us. And I know that sounds kind of weird, like how can you not keep vision in front of you, um, but it, it, vision must be intentional. Vision doesn't happen by accident. Vision doesn't happen just because you woke up and said, I think I'm going to do this today. You've got to be intentional about it. There's, there's nothing accidental uh, uh, about walking out the vision and the plan that God has for your life. And the same with our church. We've got to be intentional about it. So about every 12 months we take this opportunity just to convey the vision, keep it in front of you, uh, because back at chapter 2, verse 2 tells us that uh, we've got to write down the vision. We've got to make it plain. I don't want to make it complicated. It's hard to run with complicated stuff, isn't it? It's hard to, okay, where, so where do I fit in? On That's why we have vision partnership. Uh, If you have not yet joined our Church Through Vision partnership, that is the opportunity for you to hear about who we are, why we're here, and how you can play a part. Very simple. Three things. Who we are, what God's called us to do, and how you get to be a part of that. You're not left out. You are a part of it. We've been waiting for you. We've been expecting you. Amen. And so uh, it's it's very important to to keep the vision in front of us, because if we don't write it down, if we don't make it plain, the the verse goes on to say that that those that read it may run with it. How can I expect you to run with something that you cannot see? Right. And, And just just for, you know, knowing it, that you go where you can see. You go as far as you can see, or you go in the direction that you put the vision of your life. If you don't like where you're at, you might want to start looking at the vision that you've set for your life. And so we've got to be able to uh, stay intentional about that. Last week, we uh, looked in the Old Testament at the tabernacle and at the temple, both places where God uh, designed himself to come and inhabit his people. That means to come and dwell with his people, to meet with his people. And both of them, the tabernacle and the temple, had to be assembled. It had to be put together. You couldn't just have pieces laying around all over the place and say, All right, God, I'm ready. And, 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 and those pieces uh, were worth a lot. What I mean is, is God wasn't asking for people's leftovers. Well, whatever you got laying around, if you got a little bit of time, you know, let me have some of that. Uh, If you got a little bit of money, throw it in here. No, he was asking for some good stuff. He was asking for gold and silver and bronze, fine linens, uh, uh, scarlet. He was asking for like the, the best wood and the best trees. Why? Because he deserves the best. And when we put all that together, when we assemble it together, that means pieces fitted together where they belong. I mean, I don't know how well you are at putting together furniture or following directions. You know, uh, probably most of us men in the room are probably like me that we think we got it without the directions. And then we end up having to backtrack and we we find stuff that's missing. Why? Because God gave specific directions on how the tabernacle was put was to be put together. I mean, dimensions, I mean, down to like cubic inches, he wasn't missing anything. And then when you get over to Second Chronicles with King Solomon, same thing with the temple. He told him exactly where to put stuff, exactly how big things should be, exactly how tall, exactly how long. And he told him the exact materials to use. Well, why would God shift into the New Testament where we even have a greater power and we have a greater opportunity to meet with Jesus and meet with our Heavenly Father? Why would he all of a sudden grow lax and we can all of a sudden do whatever we want to do and expect God to show up? We come whenever we feel like it and we we are very uh, casual and careless with our approach, but yet we still expect the same presence of God. No, Hebrews chapter 10, verse 25, we saw, tells us that in the last days, in the end, do not forsake the, what? Assembling of yourselves together. Could it be possible that that same assembling is the same as assembling he was referring to with the tabernacle? The same assembling that he was referring to with the temple precise, direct, meaning that we bring our best, not our leftovers. We give God everything that we have. Then we can truly expect to see God's presence. Then we can see his glory fill the place. And both times, both instances, he did not miss a beat. We've got two uh, uh, examples in the Old Testament of the tabernacle and the temple where the glory filled showed up. That means God showed up. And when we get our comfort and our convenience out of the way, and when we start uh, coming to church with the mentality of how can I be a part of something rather than what can I get out of this, then we will see the presence of God show up in this place. We're creating a meeting place. We said last week that we do not build the church for man. We build the church for God. This church isn't built for you. I can't build a church for you. You realize that you realize if we just took a big poll and says, all right, uh, uh, let's just take music, for example, because there's there's all kinds of genres. Uh, what kind of music do we want to do this week? Guys, we'd be all over the place in this room, right? Some of us wouldn't even want music. Some of us, I'm good with that. I don't even like the stuff anyways. I like silence. We'd be all over. We'd be from one end of the spectrum to the other. No, we we do worship for God. And you get to participate. And you get to be a part of that. We get to be a part of that. And so that was last week. And if you missed it, it's online. You definitely want to be sure and catch it. But today, I want to talk about something that I think precedes vision, goes before vision. That vision is great. We've got to know what vision is. We've got to have vision in front of us. We've got to keep uh, vision in front of us and be intentional about that. But there's something that's even greater than vision, I believe, that, that we have to understand if we're going to fully accomplish the vision. And that is purpose. Purpose. And today, if you've been with us for any length of time, you already know that word. You already know we go there a lot. Uh, because I believe that purpose is paramount. Purpose is, takes precedence. Purpose is a priority. Purpose, notice all those start with the letter P. I worked on that, okay? Purpose is valuable. And if we don't understand purpose, the vision will never get accomplished. I'm saying today that you can have vision, but without purpose, you'll never fulfill it. You can have vision. Vision is the end. Vision is what has not yet taken place. And just so you know, God loves vision. God is a God of vision. He loves to talk about vision. God lives where you have not been yet. Are you hearing me today? If you haven't accomplished it, that's where God's at. He's saying, "Good, that's right where that's right where I want you." If you haven't done it, once you've achieved something, He's already moved on to the next thing. I remember uh, Pastor Earl here, um, uh, y'all were here uh, a couple months ago. He ministered and he ministered to our leadership the night before, and uh, he said, "You know, I'm never impressed with what anybody tells me is in our bank account. Never impresses me because the the vision is always bigger than what we have." That means if we have it, it must be that much bigger. So you can come to me today and say, we've got $50 million in the bank. And he'll say, that's great. That just means that our vision is $100 million. It's always bigger than where you're currently at because God is a God of faith. If you have it, he's not there. He lives where you have not been. He speaks to what you have not done. He loves to draw out what you have not yet seen take place. That's the God that we serve. So we got to have vision. But this vision is is pushed by purpose. Look at this in Matthew chapter 16. Uh, Jesus begins to communicate some vision. In verse 13, he says, when Jesus came into the region of Caesarea Philippi, he asked his disciples, saying, Who do men say that I, the Son of Man, am? So they said, some say John the Baptist, some Elijah, and others Jeremiah or one of the prophets. And he said to them, but who do you, who do you say that I am? And Simon Peter answered, good old Simon Peter, answered and said, you are the Christ, the son of the living God. And Jesus answered him, verse 17, and said to him, blessed are you, Simon Bar-Jonah, for flesh and blood has not revealed this to you. You know, there there comes a time in your life, we talked about this a little bit on, on Wednesday, where, you know... The explanation is not going to cut it for you anymore. You're going to have to get revelation. We have to be a people that live and move by revelation. It's good to have the practical stuff. It's good to have the explanation. It's good to have the examples. But there's going to come a time in your life where you're going to need an answer. You're going to need direction in the vision, and you are going to need it to be revealed to you. It cannot merely just be information. It cannot be just copying what you see somebody else do. It cannot be uh, what you think the world culture needs for you to do. But it has to be revealed to you by the Father himself. And so Jesus says, a uh, great answer, but you didn't get that on your own. We need some stuff that we didn't get on our own. But my father had, who is in heaven, he revealed this to you. Verse 18, and I also say to you, he said, I want to tag on to that. I want to tag on to what my father said. Here's what the father said, but let me, let me share a little more. Let me shed a little more light on it. I also say to you that you are Peter. And on this rock, I will build my church. We saw that last week. We don't build the church. Jesus is building the church. And he says, I will build my church. That means it belongs to him. We don't have a say so. We follow the directions. We follow the instructions. And we don't get to say where certain things go. He is the chief cornerstone. He's the one putting this thing together. I will build my church. And the gates of hell will not prevail against it. Now, just so you know, that's not defensive. That's offensive. I just want to fill you in today. We're not talking about a church that's shut up inside the doors, hoping that the devil doesn't come breaking them down. We are barging the gates of hell and we are destroying every darkness, every spiritual principle and and principality in wicked places and all wickedness. That's why we're here. We are tearing down the gates of hell. That's why the gates of hell will not prevail. They can't withstand it. We're on the offensive. You got to get a clue. You got to figure that out. Because you'll stay shut up saying, I hope he doesn't get me. I hope he doesn't get me. And you are no threat to the devil. No, we are a threat. The church is a threat to the enemy in these last days. The Bible tells us that when the church gets called up, it's all. You think it's bad now? Take the church out. Oh, Jesus is right. No, we want to be with him. With him. But look, he says in verse 19, And I will give you the keys of the kingdom of heaven. Keys are authority. And whatever you bind on earth will be bound in heaven. Whatever you loose on earth, will be loosed in heaven. That's interesting that heaven responds to what we do in the earth. We thought we're waiting on God and God's been waiting on us. Come on. You're hearing this today. Are you hearing this today? Heaven is waiting on us. God has delegated the authority through his son, Jesus. When he died on that cross, he went back and he said, it's better that I go. It's better that I leave because then I can bring the Holy Spirit down and you can bring heaven to earth. The kingdom of God. You can reign once again, just as Adam did, just as Adam. You're no different. The world is different. The environment is different. Yes, our surroundings are different. We see calamity and dismay and trials and tribulations. But he said, what? Be of good cheer. I've overcome all that. What do you got to worry about? What do you got to worry about? So he's, he's, he's communicating some vision. There's some vision for you. Jesus had vision. Jesus lived his life with vision. Jesus saw what was ahead of him. Uh, Hebrews chapter 12 tells us that for the cross that was set before him, or for the joy that was set before him, he endured the cross. What did he see? He saw joy. He had a vision. It wasn't very joyful getting beat on his back. It wasn't very joyful standing before something that he never did wrong. It wasn't joyful being wrongly accused. It wasn't joyful hanging on the cross to die in front of everybody naked and ashamed. But for the joy that was set before him. If you don't have vision, you'll get stuck where you're at. But because of the joy that was before him, he endured. You will endure hardship because you see joy on the other side. Jesus lived a life of vision. Jesus lived a life of vision. He had vision. But continue on here because Peter's not done. Peter's not done yet. Peter, you know, you know how it is when you get an answer right. And you're like, you get a little bit of boldness on the inside, man. It's like, cool, I got the next one, too. I'll get them, I'll get them all right from here. I, you know, you feel pretty good about yourself. And so it says, then he commanded his disciples that they should tell no one that he was Jesus the Christ. Verse 21, from that time, Jesus began to show to his disciples that he must go to Jerusalem. So there's vision, and now here's the plan. The vision, I'm bringing the kingdom back. Vision, I'm going to my father's seat at the right hand. The Vision, I'm delegating the authority back to the church and they will have the keys of the kingdom. And and, and hell will not prevail against them. And whatever they bind on. I mean, you can just see Jesus getting excited as he's saying this. Man, I can't wait for my church, for my people to get the kingdom back in the earth. But here's the plan. Here's the plan. I'm going to be wrongly accused. I'm going to suffer many things. From the elders and chief priests and scribes. Notice he didn't say from the Romans. It's from all the religious people that couldn't get their thinking straightened out. Elders, chief priests, that's all religious people, scribes. He doesn't say the Roman soldiers going to kill me. He doesn't say Pontius Pilate's going to condemn me to death. No, he's, he, he's pointing them out, man. Let me tell you who's sending me there. But on the third day. And be killed and be raised the third day. And Peter didn't hear anything about be raised the third day. He stopped after killed. So in verse 22, it says Peter took him aside. Took him aside. (laughs) And began to rebuke him. Saying, far be it from you, Lord. This shall not happen. Peter's getting, you know, he's getting bold, man. It's like the moment when he said, "You tell me to come out this boat, I'll step out the boat. I'll take the guy's ear off for you, no problem." This is Peter, a little irrational. He gets one right, and he thinks he's there. He pulls Jesus aside and says, "That is not me and you. No, we're too close. I'll, I'll go. I'll go down with you. I will fight for you. Far be it from you, Lord. May this never." He says, "This will. This." shall not happen to you. This shall not happen to you. Jesus just said, this is the plan. Gave you the vision. This is the plan of how the vision comes to pass. Thank God he has a plan, right? Thank God he's got good plans to prosper us. He's got good plans. But sometimes that plan doesn't seem like it gets us to the final destination. Sometimes the things that happen to you are really for you. And so he says, this shall not. I mean, Peter is getting right in front of Jesus and said, I will make sure this does not happen to you. And Jesus responds and says, oh, Peter, you're such a good friend. I'm so thankful for guys like you. Even when all those chief priests and and all those people, they just want to kill me and get rid of me. I knew I could count on you, man. So, so, so what do you think? What, what are we going to do? How are we going to take them out? Because you know, I really don't want to go through with that plan. I die. So it's not a really cool plan. But it gets us to the vision. But if you got something else, I'm willing to hear, I'm willing to hear some stuff. No, that's not what he says. He says, but he turned and said to Peter, get behind me, Satan. Now, he's not literally Satan, but the word Satan means adversary. It means opposition. It means you're standing in the way of something is what that means. He says, get behind me, Satan. You are an offense to me. Now, he didn't get offended. Okay? don't go run off and say, see, I can hold an offense because, you know, Jesus got offended. No, no, no. And he was an offense, but he chose not to get offended. He said, you are an offense, a stumbling block. You are trying to trip me up, Peter. For you are not mindful of the things of God, but the things of men. The, the, what do I have it in the new living New Living says, Jesus turned to Peter and said, get away from me, Satan. You are a dangerous trap to me. You are seeing things merely from a human point of view. Not from God's. You are seeing things from a worldly, earthly perspective. He speaks to Peter's perspective. He speaks not to what he's seeing, but how he's seeing it. Because Peter only sees the natural. He only sees if I take the sword out and start cutting guys' ears off, we could put an end to this thing real quick. And I love, you know, when that actual actual instance takes place in the garden and and Jesus says, "Your Your sword ain't nothing, bro. I can call down legions of angels right now and cream this whole place out. We'll wipe them off the planet. If that was the goal. I remember I asked this question several years ago. Some of you may remember. Who is it that really helped Jesus. Fulfill the vision for his life. Peter. Or Judas. See sometimes we think it's the ones that care about us and our friends and the ones that, that, that try to keep us from going through hardship. But Judas was actually the one that helped propel Jesus towards his purpose. It's the necessity of an enemy. It's the necessity of opposition. It's the, it's the need. It's not that God's bringing it on you. It's not that we already covered that. He's not the source of it. It's all part of the plan. And all things work together for the good of those who love him. And are called according to his what? His purpose. Because in the end, if you reach the final destination, if you get to the goal in mind, does it matter really how you got there? So I would submit to you today, that Judas was more of a friend than Peter. Now, he wasn't thinking that. Judas wasn't thinking, okay, if I go get these 30 pieces of silver and betray him, I mean, I'm going to be a good friend for Jesus. I'm going to stand by him. I want to see his vision. He's not thinking that at all. But I know that my God knows how to work all things out for my good. I know that my God knows how to take what was meant for evil and turn it for good. That's how my God works. At the end, His vision is what gets accomplished. But Jesus, notice here, Jesus is guarding His purpose at all costs. The price of purpose. And in fact, if you even continue reading on here, He goes into the cost of discipleship. And he says things like, if you don't take up your cross too, Peter, you think you're going to keep me from getting on the cross? I got news for you. You're getting on a cross too. And see, Jesus was even willing to part ways with friends because Jesus was not moved by people. He was moved by purpose. You will not not fulfill your vision or the vision that God has given you for your life listening to everybody else because they don't know the vision like you know the vision that God's given you. And thank God that we have godly counsel and godly relationships and people that God places in our life that can come alongside us and help us pursue. But you've got to know what the end goal is. See, Jesus knew "If, if, if, if this doesn't happen to me, We don't achieve the end goal. We don't achieve gates of hell not prevailing against the church. We don't achieve I will build my church. We don't achieve the keys of the kingdom go to the church and whatever they bind or loose on earth gets bound or loose in heaven. We don't achieve any of that if I listen to you, Peter. So get behind me, Satan, because you are not mindful of the things of God. How is Jesus so mindful? John chapter 5, verse 30. John chapter 5. In verse 30, he says, I can of myself do nothing. As I hear, I judge, and my judgment is righteous. Why? Because I do not seek my own will. Did you know that Jesus had his own will? That was maybe different than what the Father wanted. Isn't that what he prayed in the garden? Father, if there is any other way, I'm not going to compromise the vision and I'm not going to compromise the end goal. But if you have a different plan, now would be the time to let me know because there's people coming right now ready to arrest me. You got any other ideas, any last, last second, you know, ideas of how we can accomplish this any other way around this. Let me know. And he was sweating so bad that his, his sweat turned to drops of blood. Yeah, he had his own will. But he said, I do not seek my own will. Sometimes we have this idea that Jesus just came to earth and just automatically fulfilled the plan of God for his life. Because he's God, right? He's just... He's he's 100% man. He's 100% God. We can't comprehend that anyways. And so we think that he just came down here and automatically pushed off, uh, you know, uh, uh, temptations. Uh, Even though the Bible tells us he was tempted on all accounts just as we have been. Uh, We think that he just came down and obeyed the Father and obeyed his instructions just automatically. No, he said, I don't seek what I want to do. I don't seek my own will, but... The will of the Father who sent me. John chapter 6, verse 38. For I have come down from heaven. Notice in both points, he communicates the source. I seek the, the will of my Father, the source. I have come down from heaven, the source. You've got to recognize who your source is. You've got to recognize what your source is. When you get your eye off the source, you'll get your eye off of the plan. But he said, no, 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 my father sent me from heaven. He's got a plan. I've got a vision for my life, the joy that's been set before me. And I will not seek to do what I, I will not get distracted. I will not get moved by what I see around me. I am going to guard this purpose at all costs, he says. If it costs me people, if it costs me money, if it costs me time, if it costs me relationships, close relationships. I mean, just so you know, at this point, when he's having this conversation with his disciples, he's already had almost all of the the multitude has abandoned him. Most of the disciples have already left him at this point, and he's already looked at the 12 and said, you going too? He's already been through some abandonment. He's already been through uh, uh, the feelings and the emotions of people leaving him, even though they were all for him in the beginning. But he says, no, 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 I don't do what I want to do. I didn't come down from heaven to do my own will, but the will of him who sent me. There's a price for purpose. So what he's doing is he's helping Peter recognize You have a misaligned purpose. You don't have the same intentions I do. And there's a very important question that we need to ask. We need to ask this in our church. You need to ask this in your life. One question that aligns everything. Do you want what I want for the same reason I want it? One question. It'll help you cut off relationships. It'll help you cut off things that are not going to help you achieve the vision and the purpose for your life. Do you want what I want? For the same reason I want. it? And, you know, that 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 question has a has just a funny way of narrowing things. Do you want what I want? For the same reason I want it. See, Jesus was only interested in one thing. What the father wants. And he told the father. He told God. I want what you want. For the same reason you want it. And now I'm going to surround myself with people. That want what I want. For the same reason I want it. He communicated the vision. And when when someone stepped up. And communicated outside of that purpose. And outside of that plan. He didn't side with them. He didn't try to hear them out. He cut it off immediately and said, you don't share the same values. You don't share the same purpose. You don't have the same agenda that my father has for me. And unless you align yourself with the plan that I just communicated, we can no longer continue to run. Get behind me, Satan. Now, I'm not telling you to go around to people in your life today and get on Facebook and just start Just do one big post, get behind me, Satan. (laughs) But it's interesting what will happen when you get vision and then you start to discover the purpose. See, purpose answers the question, why? Purpose answers the question, why? It's not good enough to know what to do. Vision tells you what to do. Our vision is on the back of our wall. Ignite the city. Impact the nation and influence the world. That doesn't tell you why. That's the what. What do we do at Anchor Faith Church? Igniting the city, impacting the nation, and influencing the world for the kingdom of God. That's what we do. But why we do it, why we do it, we exist to anchor people to Christ to live life by faith. Everything we do at this church, everything we do at this church, every event, every message, every service, every area that you get to serve in. I mean, you you can you can sit back there uh, changing diapers. You can say I'm anchoring people to, to Christ to live life by faith. And so here's the thing. And I even challenged our leadership with this a couple months ago. I said, if you see people, if you see people in your life that are not anchored to Christ. And living life by faith, that should bother you. It bothers me. It bothers me. Because that's the purpose for which I've been sent. It bothers me when I don't see people anchored to Christ. They're anchored to the economy. They're anchored to government. They're anchored to healthcare systems. They're anchored to uh, a. poor relationship, or they're anchored to depression. Anchored meaning they're held down. But Paul said, I'm in bondage. I'm enslaved to righteousness. I'm anchored to Christ to live life by faith. That means I don't live by what I see. I live beyond what I see. That's what we're doing at Anchor Faith Church. That's what we do week in and week out. That's what we do when you get to wear the green t-shirt and and stand outside the door, welcoming people. You are welcoming people that need to be anchored to Christ to live life by faith. And if they are not anchored, we need to get them anchored. Because people today are anchored to way too much garbage. But that's our purpose. That's why we do it. Why are we igniting the city, impact the nation, influence the world? To anchor people to Christ. Christ. To live life by faith. Christ. The solid rock. The word of God. The immovable. Unstoppable. Foundation. When you get anchored to Christ. You quit living like this. And you start living like this. And everything else around you is going like this. And going like this. And going like this. And, like this, and you're just. You're cruising right on through it. Why? Because I'm on the solid rock. And I'm not moved by what I, what I see. I'm not moved by what I feel. I'm not moved by what I hear. I'm anchored to Christ. This is why we exist. And so Jesus knew why he existed. And so when he saw things contrary, look at this in Luke chapter 4. Luke chapter 4, verse 42. Verse 43. Early the next morning, Jesus went out to an isolated place. And the crowds searched everywhere for him. And when they finally found him, they begged him not to leave. And anybody today, almost any minister I know today, would stay. But look what his answer is. But he replied, I must preach the good news of the kingdom, the gospel of the kingdom of God in other towns too. Also, because that is why I was sent. The New King James says, "Because for this purpose." See, when you don't know why, we'll do whatever. But when you know why you've been sent, why you're here, students, you are not here to attend Valdosta State University. You are here to be a light. In the midst of darkness, you've been called to this time. I mean, we have military in this in this room that are from all over the place. And I try to help them understand. I try to help you guys understand you were not stationed here by the United States Air Force. The government didn't put you here. The military didn't put you here. God stationed you here and God has a purpose for you, whether it's one year, whether it's five years, whether you retire here, whatever it is, you have a purpose. That's outside of just being stuck here until they call me somewhere else. I don't care if you don't like the bugs. I don't care if it's hotter than where you're from. I don't care if you don't like that there's nothing to do. That's not your purpose. You can accomplish your purpose wherever God sends you. But you got to know who sent you. If the Air Force is your source, then you will accomplish whatever they've told you to do, and that's it. Ryan, you're not here just for an internship. It's bigger than that. Nobody in this room is here. I'm not here. I didn't just, you know, scroll, you know, throw the globe around like you do as a little kid. I want to go to that. Okay. Pack and bags. Let's go. I'm directed. I'm assigned. I'm appointed. And then he anoints you to fulfill that purpose. Yeah, I know it feels like it's too big. I, I know it feels like it's too, too it, that God has assigned something to you. You know, I, I, I've heard people say that verse so many times, that God will not put something on you that you cannot bear. And, 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 and it, it's in the Bible, but we've taken it out of context for too long. He absolutely will put something on you you cannot bear. Because if you could bear it, you wouldn't need him. He sure will. Now, temptations is, is the context of the verse. But we, we've taken that out of context. He's not going to put too much on you. He's not going to put more on you. He does put more on you. That's when you get to rely on his strength. Right. When I am weak, he is strong. That's good. That's good. If you only max out your strength, you'll never get stronger. Right. But it's when you start utilizing the help of an aid outside of you. Something bigger than you called the Holy Spirit. I cannot, do, I cannot walk in love with this person. My flesh wants to punch them in the face right now. But you, by the Holy Spirit, it says the Holy Spirit has shed abroad love in my heart so I can walk in love. I can turn the other cheek. I can't raise these kids. These kids are crazy. These kids are nuts. I don't know what we were thinking. How do we get in this? No. That's when you get to rely on the Holy Spirit because God cares about those kids more than you ever will. They're not your kids anyways. They belong to him. They're just in your care to steward and guard over and raise them up in the word so that they can walk out the plan and purpose that God has for their life. Not you. You you don't, you don't tell your kids when you grow up you can be whatever you want to be. No, you don't tell your kids that. You tell your kids you will only be successful at whatever God wants you to do. And if you do anything else outside of that assignment, you will be unsuccessful and you will be unhappy and it will be unfulfilling. I didn't say you won't make money. I didn't say you won't look successful to the world. I didn't say you wouldn't have a big family and all the stuff the world says. But to God, you'll stand before him and he will look at you and say, you did not fulfill what I told you to do. And that's the absolute truth. God has a plan for those children. God has a plan for those children. And it's not the school's job. It's not the government's job. It's not the world's job to raise those kids. It's your job to raise them in the word of God. And nothing else. And you don't come off of it. It's what the word says. Amen. Amen. Philippians chapter 2 verse 19. Philippians chapter 2. We've got to have purpose. We've got to have his a purpose, his purpose, our our goal, our job is to align our purpose with his purpose. Align it. This is how vision is accomplished. It's not what you do. It's why you do it, because if you do it for a different reason than why we're doing it. If, if you get on this stage. And your desire is to teach people the word. But for your own glory, you're doing it for the wrong reason. If your desire is to hold an instrument and hold a microphone and sing so people can hear you and see your little talent and see your little glory, you're doing it for the you're not just doing what you're doing it. Why? And when you recognize why we do it, then you get to do it. Amen. Amen. Philippians chapter 2 verse 19 in the New King James. Paul has this to say about his son in the faith, Timothy. But I trust in the Lord Jesus to send Timothy to you shortly, that I also may be encouraged when I know your state. For I have no one like-minded. That sounds a lot like Matthew chapter 16. I have no one like-minded who will sincerely care for your state. That means I don't have anyone. I think this is Paul. This is Paul speaking. All the churches he planted. All the missionary work he's done. And this is at the end. This is closing. He's getting close to the end. And of all the people he's poured into, all the, 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 the ministers he's raised up, all the disciples he's had, he says, I've only got one that I know can do it like me. I hope that God isn't scouring this earth And can only find one that will do it like him. He says. Verse 21 for all. All. In the Greek, that word means all. 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 For all seek their own. Not the things which are of Christ Jesus. Look at it in the, in the Amplified. I have it in there, verse 19. But I hope and trust in the Lord Jesus soon to send Timothy to you so that I may also be encouraged and cheered by learning news of you. Why? Because he's in prison, so he's got to send people. For I have no one like him, no one of so kindred a spirit, who will be so genuinely interested in your welfare and devoted to your, uh, your interests. For the others all seek to advance their own interests. And do we not see that in our world more than ever? Seems like it's becoming a regular occurrence for me to get up here and have to address some kind of tragedy that happened before we even make it to Sunday. And the events, the tragic events that took place yesterday in Charlottesville, is absolute demonic. It's wickedness, lawlessness, and just downright, outright unrighteousness. There is only one supreme in authority, there's only one that gets to claim supremacy over anybody and that's our God and it outrages me a little bit you'll just have to excuse me because again as always anytime these events take place we only handle and address the issues on the surface with the symptom and you cannot heal a symptom until you take care of the root And for so long in our churches, and and even as believers, we have been so taught to look for fruit. Where's the fruit? Let me see the fruit. And we've been so well trained to look for fruit that we pass right by the seeds. Because fruit comes from somewhere, fruit doesn't just show up, it's planted. And that seed, in its smallest form, when it's disregarded and cast aside, it ends up getting watered. And we don't think anything of it. It's no big deal. No big deal, that comment. No big deal, that post. No big deal that the N-word is in almost every single rap song across America. No big deal. It's seeds. And then we are so surprised when we have a garden full. It's ungodliness. Now, the issue is not race. The issue is not one color over another. The issue is a heart. Because that flesh suit, whatever color it is, is wrapped around a heart. And a heart not given to God will never produce what God wants them to produce. The Bible very clearly tells us in 1 John that how can a man say he loves God and he doesn't even love his own brother? Why are we expecting people to walk in love that don't even know God who is love? I know there's things that we can do that, that, that can help move peacekeeping forward. And and I'm honestly glad to see any attempt that anyone in the world can provide. But they will always remain futile until we change the root, the heart of a person. Because it's horrible. It's a tragedy. But I'm going to tell you right now, the men who committed the acts are just as bound as the ones that are on the victim. In fact, probably more bound, more oppressed. And my heart goes out to all sides. My heart goes out to the men that think that this kind of activity Is okay that the that the the devil has so bound them and so oppressed them in their minds, whether it was from their parents, whether it's from past history or whether they actually own this for themselves, that the devil has bound you so. That you think this type of activity and this kind of behavior and this kind of attitude is okay. That's oppression. That's oppression. That's real slavery. That's real bondage. That we we never identify. Across the board, people need Jesus. Across the board, people need to be anchored to Christ to live life by faith. Across the board, in every and look, we, we are very well aware of what is still alive and still strong in this culture. I mean, we have a black police officer in our church. That deals with this stuff on a day to day basis and he doesn't get to talk about it. He doesn't get to share it. One of my best friends growing up in high school, thirteen years on the police force in Fort Worth, Texas, was there when the when the stuff happened last year in Dallas. This stuff is real. But so is my God. So is victory. So is the fact that he has overcome the world so is the fact that I can be of good cheer. It doesn't matter what color. It doesn't matter where I came from. It doesn't matter what is divisive. It's just interesting now that even all this gender mess and even all this sexual identity mess is now becoming rooted in the same diversity language. Wanting their rights and wanting equality. No, you're in sin. You're unrighteous. Your lifestyle is an abomination. But God has sent his son. And he's brought the answer. He's brought the hope that could pull you out of it. Just like I need to be pulled out of cussing. Just because I need to be pulled out of of losing my temper. Just because I need to be pulled out of, 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 of treating people poorly. I've got to have Jesus. I've got to be anchored to Christ. And it's not until, it's not until we know the purpose that we can fully achieve the vision. I don't need to know what to do. I'll tell you right now, people don't need to know what to do anymore. They could do what with their eyes closed. We need to know why we're doing it. We need to know why we're doing. Not what you do on Sunday mornings. Why? Not what songs are being sung, but why am I singing that? Not what verse is being read, but why is it being read? And why do I need that right now? And why do I need to hear that word in my life right now? Not not, not what time do I need to be at church, but why do I need to be we can get a church that knows their why we're unstoppable if we can raise up a church that knows their why that knows the father's why and will guard that at all costs yes, yes. guard it just like Jesus just like Jesus and, and that's when Self, see, it, it, it's no wonder that a world that is so steeped in self-preservation responds the way that it does. That's all we care about. How do I come out in the end? What do I look like in the end? No, I'm not interested in. Preser- see, see, Jesus had no problem cutting off people. From his purpose? Because he had already laid his life down. You see, you'll begin to recognize when you start living your life beyond yourself, when you start living your life for others, you've already laid yourself down. Worship team, if you come. We need a church. God said. The Bible says, for God so loved the world that he gave, not took, not kept, gave, gave. The most sacrificial act of all time came from our father, our father. And let me just tell you something. If you are born again and you're in the kingdom of God, you have his nature. That means what he does becomes natural to us and becomes unnatural to our... Flesh.